welcome to the A-Firm Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we'll be speaking with Wendell Connor from HUD's Office of Public and Indian Housing, all about their Enterprise Risk Management Program. Hello, and welcome to the A-Firm Podcast. Today, we have Wendell Connor from HUD Public and Indian uh, Housing. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And we've also got our co-host today, Tal Seaman. Good afternoon. So we'd like to start off just, uh, if you, Wendell, if you don't mind just giving us a basic overview of, uh, you know, your program, your agency, your mission, and kind of some of the unique aspects of the risks. Sure. So I work for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in the Public and Indian Housing Division, uh, or PIH. And PIH is responsible for managing a budget of about $28 billion and uh, we're looking at about 3.2 million units of affordable housing throughout the United States. So we have um, regional offices in nine regions. We have about 1,300 employees in the Office of Public and Indian Housing Mm -hmm. and we also have a decentralized operation which was we'll get into this I'm sure yeah one of the challenges of breaking down the cylinders and bringing uh, it to one PIH all right and uh, in terms of your risk management program if you were gonna say where are we in a maturity continuum where one is ad hoc in other words it's happening but there's not a lot written down in terms of of the structure and the and how you do it Two would be defined, everything is written down, but it doesn't always happen that way. Three would be, uh, would be uh, uh, regularly implemented, and in which case you're following, you're following the policies and procedures and everybody kind of rolls with that playbook. Four would be measured and managed where uh, you're, you're learning from your processes and then you're trying to make them better. And five would be optimized. Well, it's very mature, and you guys have learned a lot, and you're thinking, I don't think this program can get very much better than this. <laughs> yeah, I think we're somewhere in between a three or a four on that scale. We've uh, been at it now for almost three years. It actually took us about five years in total to get off the ground, but our right. risk committee has actually been meeting in three years. But I can tell you we've accelerated in the last six months. We've had a change in leadership in our Office of Public and Indian Housing that has become an executive champion, if you will. Um, So we're at the stage now where we're uh, doing our annual risk assessments and we're at the stage where we're improving our existing processes. Fantastic. Now, how are you organized? Where does the CRO exist within the organization? And, uh, you know, how, what kind of, what kind of office or division supports its, uh, its practice amongst the, amongst the organization? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. So HUD actually has their own chief risk officer. His name's Larry Costigan. Uh, I'm the uh, chief risk officer for the Office of Public and Indian Housing, which is one of the divisions that would report up to the mothership HUD, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit at the Real Estate Assessment Center, which is one of the 12 different divisions within PIH, but I do report directly for the purpose of risk management to the General Deputy Assistant Secretary, which is the highest civil service level uh, employee in the Office of Public and Indian Housing. Um, Are there dedicated staff that support uh, the ERM processes and meetings and training and and, uh, artifacts? There is. It's a very interesting arrangement in our office. 
in that I also manage another group called the Quality Assurance Subsystem, which is a group of CPAs that primarily do um, quality control reviews of auditors. So part of the reason we ended up with this function is because of the in-house expertise we already have. I do have a staff of four Good. that are dedicated solely to doing enterprise risk management, but I'm able to supplement that staff with the existing CPAs and MBAs that I have working for me for that other aspect of our operations. Well, let me ask you too, so wh where did the idea come to start a program like this over there? I mean, where did, where did this all come from? Yeah, you know, so we started before A123 had this as a requirement, and what happened is we were having problems with uh, high-profile public housing authorities uh -huh. having financial failure. Uh, so the general deputy assistant secretary at the time, her name was Deborah Hernandez, recognized the need for risk management, maybe didn't recognize the need for enterprise risk management, but it was through those initial conversations and a desire to improve our uh, oversight of, of troubled housing authorities that our ERM program emerged. Hmm. Okay, and how, do you got, how does your uh, enterprise risk management office interface with a larger HUD ERM department level program? So, so that's a good question. So HUD, uh, I would say the, the agency-wide ERM effort was about two years behind where we are in PIH, mm -hmm. but uh, there's a working group that meets on a regular basis, uh, on a biweekly basis, which is designed to incorporate each of the different program offices into the larger HUD ERM um, system. We have a process where our risks roll up to the mm -hmm. to the HUD level risk, and we're responsible for managing the PIH level risks. Right. Um, hopefully, that answers your question. Adam. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, in terms of the different categories of risk, where you have your operational mission risk, you have mission support structures, CIO, Chico, CFO, privacy, administrative services. Uh, I like reputational risk uh, for the overall agency within HUD or your impact on HUD's reputation. Uh, compliance risks, uh, maybe information security program uh, risk. How much how much of those different categories are now part of the program, which ones aren't, and, and kind of why, why aren't they, and then what's, uh, what's the general trend towards uh, what might get blended in and might not? So, so at the agency level, all of those risks are currently being managed mm -hmm. at our Office of Public and Indian Housing level, we've spent a lot of time working on strategic risk right. and spent a lot of time working on operational risk. And actually, it was that operational risk that was the hook that got us to, uh, to where we are in uh, the maturity model. Right. Uh, our, so our risk committee is made up at the PIH level of our deputy assistant secretaries that are responsible for each of our program areas, mm -hmm. and it's chaired by our general deputy assistant secretary. Getting uh, Deputy Assistant Secretaries that may not have the background in risk management and may not even have the accounting backgrounds to understand completely internal control and management and the foundations of enterprise risk, hooked to the idea of enterprise risk management, it was those operational risks mm -hmm. that really got them interested in running the day-to-day -day operations. And actually, going all the way back full circle, it was the troubled public housing authorities in our portfolio that keeps everybody interested right. and, and keeps this whole thing working for us. 
Well, you know, it's 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 nobody likes a crisis and nobody likes a bad story, but uh, it's it's definitely encouraging to hear how an agency took a challenging situation and turned it into a opportunity to strengthen management processes in a way that you know make it more agile and and uh, uh, more able to see and avoid risk coming down in the future. I, what, a, what a great credit to your organization. You guys have done that. Well, thank you. Yeah, and uh, so, I mean, it sounds like you have the right folks in the, in the room, in the committee, um, you know, and now to what extent uh, does this drive budgeting and strategic planning and, and this kind of thing as and, well? And let me hop yeah. right on that, because yeah. that was actually one I was gonna there you talk go. about next too, is like <laughs> in A11, which beat A123 to the punch on right. ARM. They, they made the program tied to strategic planning, and then there's specific sections that talk about that the overall objective is to get away from the silo sequential decision-making, where everybody runs around to the agency head and says, oh, I got this problem. You got a fund, you got to staff me to fix this problem. And then the next one runs into the office, and then the budget office and the Chico have a trail of two or three, four executives in a quarter come in and say, ah, you know, the agency had just said this was their number one issue, you gotta solve it. And instead to go yeah. to this portfolio decision making right. where you have risen to the top a series, uh, you know, several, several different, different challenges to the organization such that that risk group and then agency leadership can allocate a limited amount of funds and FTE and management attention to to optimize the performance of the organization. Are you guys? Uh, does your risk program work along those lines? How does how does it how does it uh, stack up against this decision making process from silo sequential to more portfolio decision making? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because that probably with all practitioners was our greatest challenge getting out of that silo mentality, <clears throat> looking at it from a strategic standpoint. In the government space especially, I think you have very good program managers, but maybe not the world's uh, most trained at strategic thinking. So pulling up what we were trying to do to think more strategically is something we've worked a lot on. We do tie our risk to our, our strategic plan. Um, Getting our committee members and our participants to really understand what that means is still a work in process, mm -hmm. but that's where we've really seen substantial improvement in the last three to six months. Are you getting the Are you getting those exciting conversations where people talk about optimizing the agency instead of optimizing a bureau or or a work area? We are, especially with some of the uh, risks that we foresee coming up in the next uh, five to 10 years. So mm. we've gone from this crisis management mode to starting to think strategically about what the policy directives are going to cause to our portfolio of affordable housing units over the next uh, five to 10 years, which, which is a, a, a huge paragon shift for mm. the Department of Public and Indian Housing. It's showing that ERM really is a tool once understood by your leadership that can really help um, help you optimize your operations. Right. Well, and I want to uh, understand your role too as you know the, the chief risk officer and your you know your staff. What role do you have in the actual response to some of these risks? I mean, are you the ones that help facilitate getting them on you know getting them known, and or do you also facilitate some of the responses? Yeah. So what's interesting about our arrangement is 
the risk division portion versus what I would call our consulting and audit portion of the other part of the group that I manage. We do get involved in some of the mitigation strategies mm -hmm. because, again, we have the accountants and the consulting right. type of arm. Right. But, but from a purely risk management point, we're just the facilitators. Okay. We, we, we will offer services to the program offices as a service in a consulting manner. For example, if we've identified a process that needs <coughs> to be re-engineered, because I have those accountants on staff, mm -hmm. they might be part of the, uh, the team that goes in and helps facilitate the, the um, uh, process improvement. Right, exactly. Okay, on uh, Wendell, on your profile, do you guys have a centralized written document that serves as this subset of of highest risks that has been approved by either your your risk council or your agency head is this written subset of highest profile risk something that's in place it, it is and that's it, fantastic yeah and, and <laughs> that's I, hard to do yeah. right <laughs> and if i may I'll, I'll tell you how we developed our first profile which is Maybe different than some other people, but oh, let's hear that story. <laughs> but it, but it really did help us from the cultural change. So we actually went down all the way to the staff level managers, and the first time we did our profile, what we did is we just said, "What are your five biggest risks for your program office that you manage?" And we took each of those risks, and then we saw patterns across the twelve different uh, offices that we have. And we summarized those to our 10, large, uh, r 10 highest risks. Mm -hmm. And it was from that 10 highest risks that the agency called our five highest risks that made it to the HUD um, overall right. risk register. Well, very good. That, that conversation across those 12 offices, I'm sure was uh, one of your pinnacle moments of the program coming together. Was that one of the first times that uh, they they had this uh, this agency uh, participation, or did they do that during budget formulation and strategic planning as well? Yeah, this was the first time that we went down to that level. Now, in subsequent mm -hmm. years, we went with just the high-level managers to refresh our our risk register. But that, along with we did a 10-city training program about what we were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. We really thought that that whole culture chain change was a, a critical element of what we were trying to do and by having everybody all the way down to the staff level understanding why we were making this switch to enterprise risk management i think is paying dividends now in year three and year four that's fantastic well let me ask more on that because you know a lot of folks we've talked with they say that one of the biggest things is trying to get buy-in from folks and i know you said the operational was kind of something to hook people in but you know you specifically in your group how did you go out and get buy-in on this? Did you kind of have to campaign for it or meet with folks individually, or did you have support to, to get buy-in on these on this program? Yeah, that's a really good question yeah. as well. So it took a lot of handshaking, oh, okay. a lot right, of phone right. calls. That makes sense. And you know, early on, our goal when we were having our enterprise risk management meetings were just to get to the next meeting, just mm -hmm. to show the individuals involved where the value play is. In the, we live in a world where people think very short term and they want to see results. And in our early meetings, it's like we've met five times and we don't have any results yet. Right. Where you're dealing with systemic problems that may take two to three years to really put the right strategic fix in place. Mm -hmm. How do you convince a group of people to keep going? Our goal was just to have that next meeting so over time they would 
get uh, more socialized with the concept. And you know, with this cultural change you're talking about, uh, I know it can be really challenging. Uh, we, we had conversations uh, rolling out a program where people, uh, you're, you're trying to get them to have this discipline, documented discussion about risk, which is where the real value comes from, but people don't have the same understanding of the words. And there's a little bit of you know technical vocabulary that helps have a more disciplined discussion. I remember having a 30 minute discussion on, well, what is a risk? And so uh, with a lexicon or a, a risk strategy guide that kind of lays out your, your risk identification, analysis, prioritization, reporting process, what, what have you put in place to help make those conversations less frustrating, more meaningful, more specific, more disciplined? How do you, how, did you have that, that situation and did you address it? If so, how did you guys do it? Boy, you just talked about year one of our program. <laughs> All right. So what we did early on is we did develop a lexicon. And then when we did that 10 city training, we tried to introduce those concepts early on to everybody within our organization, from senior leadership in PIH all the way down to line staff. So mm -hmm. we'd be speaking the same language. Right. In addition to going to actual field offices where we did the training, we did a, a, a webcast that's still available on YouTube for anybody that wants to see what we did. What's it called? Um, so do HUD, uh, HUD PIH ERM, and it should come up in the YouTube oh. search engine, or we can provide that to you. Yeah, There's an extra up. benefit for pod listeners right there. That's right, about the length of that one. And that's, that's free, no, no charge. You know? <laughs> Value adds. But you could see exactly what we did, and then surprisingly i forget what the number of hits we were up to but more than you would think we're actually going out and looking at that site either that or, or one of my friends was just laughing at me over and over again <laughs> watching it that's very good do you guys have a risk appetite statement if so how many of the different categories of risk i mean do you have a do you have a statement for mission mission support privacy uh, information security program uh, in any any other areas like financial would be obviously very big with you guys because of the financial indicators that are tied together with housing programs but what do you have how'd you put it together what made it to the list what didn't make it to the list well that's really one of our existing shortcomings we've attempted on multiple times to introduce that concept and and get that document prepared yeah uh, it's still a work in process uh, right. we we have a long way to go before we'll have something to offer all right so window how does that how does that impact your strategic planning like yeah. when we're doing strategic planning sometimes agencies have a mix between you know executives want to make sure that their their target is 100 percent achievable yeah. So sometimes you end up with these targets that are actually below existing performance. So it's my strategic target is striving to do less than la less than last year. Now there's not a lot of operational risk not to hit that versus uh, executives knowing it's okay to set an ambitious and challenging target that's supposed to drive innovation and process change and efficiencies in order to achieve them. How? How is how's your strategic planning going in those kind of terms and without a risk appetite? Or what do you think a risk appetite statement would make a difference? Well, uh, most certainly a risk appetite statement would make a difference. We really struggle with the whole concept of uh, materiality and what matters and what doesn't matter. Sure. Um, when we're setting those targets and those, uh, you know, within that whole operational risk I've been talking about, 
identifying that even though you might have 50 small entities, their, their impact on our portfolio doesn't touch the one or two large entities. We have one entity that receives about 20% of our total funding. Hmm. And so without a well-defined risk appetite statement, we really struggle. And, and that's, that's the one piece of our operation that we still have to build out. Yeah, and I would add to that. I mean, it's, I, mean I think most folks are taking this opportunity to track risk and try to mitigate risk but I'm not sure how much on the opportunity side, you know. So, and, you know, I guess for, you know, a government agency, it's not necessarily think about things in private sector terms of, you know, revenue and things like that. But, I mean, is there any equivalent to that where you guys are looking for opportunities as well as risks? I mean, you know. Well, that's very interesting because our meeting on yeah. Tuesday, we talked about mergers and acquisition models that you would see in the private sector yeah. because the public housing industry is really in a, what a private sector would call a shakeout period where we're, we're downsizing our footprint in the investment in affordable housing in the United States. Right. So you're going to have uh, a need for providers that are not as efficient as other providers to be consolidated. So we've started talking mm -hmm. about using some of those business type techniques that uh, you would more typically see in the private sector. I right. would say the one thing that ERM has given the Office of Public and Indian Housing is a more of an entrepreneurial look hmm. to how they manage their um, their issues in, in the public housing space. Right. I mean, because you could look at things sort of an M&A or even, you know, organizational change, you know, reorganizing, what are the pros and cons and risks of all those kinds of things. I think there's a lot of tools here available beyond just, you know, what bad things could happen, you know, what good things could happen. You know? Right. In that there might actually be positive outcomes from right. that. You know, my, what I'm talking about are our third-party providers that right. administer our programs that we're starting to talk about things like economies of scale mm -hmm. and, and uh, more efficient delivery of the federal awards programs, all of which um, are steps in the right direction for the federal government. So I, I think we would be interested, too, to hear what, what are your goals for the next few years? You know, where do you want to see your organization's program move? And, and, you know, what the next level of maturity here, you know, what are you looking at? Yeah, well, certainly that risk appetite statement is something we really need to work on. Um, continuing to educate uh, the senior leadership in, uh, in PIH on the benefits of the enterprise risk management program and then incorporating that further into HUD entity level uh, ERM. One of the things that we as risk managers at PIH and at Ginny May and FHA did, we recognized there was going to be a need at some point to pull it all up at the HUD level. Right. So we started meeting before we even had a HUD risk officer to make sure that we had common framework so that wh whoever got that job, and Larry, he owes us one now, right. it <laughs> right. makes it a lot easier for him because we had the structure in place. Right, and so you, were, you had a framework that allowed, on a perspective level, risk from different areas to be combined in a way that still made sense for senior leaders to compare and, and, and act on. That's great. So PIOs and uh, Office of General Counsel, uh, Chief Privacy Officers, uh, both of these offices largely are risk management offices for an agency. Uh, I heard one OGC said that uh, his job is, to super, is, is akin to supervising a classroom of kindergartners running around the classroom, each holding scissors to keep everyone from getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, that, that made me laugh when he said that because I know there's so many legal issues out there 
that uh, that you know OGCs and now PIOs. You know, they're a PI, a privacy officer seems like they're everywhere in every mm -hmm. major process change, business change, information management, and they see their jobs as managing the risk for the organization. How have you been able to pull OGC and PIO, uh, I, I should probably say privacy office, otherwise it probably sounds like uh, performance information officers, but your, your privacy office and your OGC, how have you been able to pull them into your risk organization? Uh, do they do they throw do they throw these often sensitive risks on the table with the larger senior group and have these candid discussions of of what's on the table in their offices? Yeah. So at our public and public and Indian housing level, we haven't had involvement with either of those offices. Hmm. Oh, okay. Other than from a, a consulting standpoint on some some legal issues. Right. So so far we've avoided that. Uh, that concern at the HUD level, I'm sure that will become an issue as we become more mature. Well, and related, how about the Inspector General's office? What's your kind of oh, yeah. coordination? Or, you oh, know, I was know. afraid you'd ask me. <laughs> that. Okay. Well, everybody's always curious about that. Yeah. Now, now Wendell gets to say, I love my Inspector General's office. They're one of my favorite people. Well, that's true. Well, now, so, so at it's the- Always the right answer. That's right. Yeah, at, the, at the HUD level, Larry's done a lot of work to lay the groundwork on um, our interactions with the Inspector General. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, as the rest of the industry struggles with this, um, how much information, you know, we would hope that it becomes a partnership. Sure. Because I think w both sides could really benefit from leveraging the expertise of the other side and uh, with complete understanding of what ERM is trying to accomplish. I think we could uh, create more efficiencies within the federal government space, or at least within the HUD space. Um, where you're not running out trying to put in um, mitigations uh, to risks that really don't exist because they came up in an audit report. So, right, right. so we, we, we are working on that relationship. Um, I'll let you know in the future how that turns well, out. With programs, I know programs are really concerned about, well, if I stick something on a risk register, a, uh, yeah. a risk identification, a risk description, uh, some measures on how, you know, how, far, how far along this risk is to be in, actualized and probability and, and impact whatever it's is that something that the ig can get is that something that could be foiled and and i know some agencies are working with making policies and their programs that say anything that's on the lower level registers is management pre-decisional information it's changing all the time uh, in the work environment so it's not subject to ig audit or foia only the final profile at the top that gets approved by senior leaders is decision information, and therefore, IG, you audit that. You audit audit how we're how we're doing our risk management according to our policies and procedures. How have you have you any of those conversations with the IG? How you guys work that out? Yeah, I haven't directly. I'm not sure exactly what Larry has done. I know okay. he's really been working on that relationship. I I would hope. Well, my view on this is, agency risks are usually pretty well known by the managers and also by the inspector general. Yeah, they have their own risk list too. I mean, right, right. It, it's pretty straightforward. So again, my hope, not just at HUD, but overall in the federal space is that we view these things as partnerships. So we are all focused on what needs to get fixed or needs to be addressed uh, going forward. Right. And we do it in a cooperative manner. Fantastic. Well, I just have one last question for you. Um, just curious uh, what you think about A-Firm. Have you found that to be a helpful organization? You know, you've attended some of the summits and that. Just curious. You know. Oh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to A-Firm. When we were in our very uh, infant stage of trying to put ERM, members of ER, 
of the ERM community, many of which are ARM, a, a firm members, right. have come uh, and helped us, gave us best practices, advice, looked at our practice. So uh, my recommendation to anybody that's trying to start out at ERM practice or if you're in the early stages, use a firm as a resource. It's fantastic. We would not be where we, were, we are right now without the assistance of a firm. Wendell, man, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. Well, that's the podcast. Thank you very much for joining. I hope you enjoyed it. Check us out at afirm.org. We'll have more information about the organization and other podcasts that are available. We have several more podcasts coming up in the next month. Many exciting guests, so we hope you will tune in. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing out. And thanks for listening to the A-Firm Podcast.